Today's the day that I really appreciate uh, the title Jeremy Swindle's given me is, is lead minister. You say, what does that mean? Well, let me give you a practical example. I will not be in the Duncan booth. Dan Burgess will, okay? <laughs> That's what you get to do when you're the lead minister. All right. I'm excited about us finishing the 12 steps today. hope this has been as helpful to you and encouraging to you as it has been to me. You know, we've come a long ways. I don't know if you were here last week. If you weren't, you need to go online and listen to the message that David Knowles gave us about how we handle addicts, how we identify when we're addicts. It's so practical, so good. I just want to say, we as a church have come a long way. I remember we first started addiction ministry years ago. We had two guys show up here that had major addiction issues, and we had a member that was very giving who actually owned an apartment complex and said, hey, We'll put these guys in the complex. So we put these two drug addicts in this apartment together. That's really smart. Before long, you know, we had a drug den going on, man. <laughs> it, it was the landmark drug house, and anybody who wanted to go was invited to go. So we learned that didn't work very well, that what we needed to do is we needed to learn to work through these steps with people. And so today we come to the last three steps. First nine steps are a lot about you and I cleaning up. These last steps are about us staying clean, or you might put it about growing up. You, you see, what I'm calling today's message is we've got to escape relapse. We've got to escape relapse. Because relapse is so easy. I asked Ed Bice, tell me this week, give me some percentages on relapse. He told me, you don't want to know them. But the truth is, we wouldn't even want to know our own numbers on relapse, right? Because we're all prone to do that. Jesus understood this, and so he taught a really unique parable in Luke chapter 11 that I'd like to read to you this morning out of the message translation, so hopefully it sounds fresh to you. Jesus says, when a corrupting spirit, a demon, is expelled from someone, it drifts along through the desert looking for an oasis, some unexpecting soul it can bedevil. When it doesn't find anyone, it says, I'll go back to my old haunt. On return, it finds the person swept, dusted, but vacant. It then runs out and rounds up seven other dirtier demons than itself, and they all move in, whooping it up. That person ends up far worse than if you'd never gotten cleaned up in the first place. And if you're involved in this, you understand that. There's always that tension, that temptation to relapse. And there's always that problem of when you fall back in it, often it's worse than it was at the beginning. Jesus knew that. We all know that because we all are prone to relapse. Let me, let me ask for a show of hands. How many people have ever felt like you you know, you, you'd eaten too much, you needed to lose some weight. How many of you ever gone on a, di a diet? Raise your hand. Come on, raise your hand, be honest. How many of you stuck with the diet? Okay, I've got two people, better than first service, all right. Why? why? Because we know it's so easy to start something, and it's really hard to finish it. It's hard to stick with it. And so, here's the problem. This demon comes back to house that's swept clean and vacant, but it's not filled up. And that's what these last three steps are about. You know, we, we know this, and, and we say something like this. 
We're all one decision away from relapse, right? I mean, if, it, if it's some kind of issue with alcohol or prescription drugs, or if it's a different issue like depression or anxiety or pornography or just plain old selfishness and greed or pride or some kind of sexual sins, we know there are only one decision away, one drink, one clip, one pill, one thought, one purchase. But I want to add something to that. It's not, it's not just that we're just one decision away from getting back into something we don't want to be into. We're one non-decision away. You see, because when you don't decide, you decide. For instance, if this past spring you decided to plant a garden and you worked really hard at it, got the right seeds, tilled the ground, fertilized it, had it watered nicely, and then you just walked away from that garden, can you tell me what condition it would be in now? I mean, you, you know what's going to automatically, naturally happen. The weeds are all going to come back, and they're going to take over. You see, to destroy that garden, you don't have to get a hole out and go hoe it all down. You don't have to poison it. All you've got to do is just let it go. And guys, for all of us living in this fallen world with our sinful flesh, you know, all you've got to do is do nothing. Did you hear that? If you've got an issue in your life, I do, we all do, if you've got an issue... For it to come back, all you've got to do is do nothing. Because the truth is, everyone is prone to relapse. There's a great old hymn that has this line in it. Maybe some of you remember this. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. You feel it? You feel that inclination? that you're being drawn the wrong direction, that you're prone to wonder. I think we all feel that. And that's why it's so important that we get to these steps. Now, here, here's what I want to say about these, these three steps, is that they're very repetitious of what we've already talked about. But I think what we've all got to understand is what helped get you clean, what helped get you past that issue, is the same thing that's going to keep you from it. You see, so often what we're always looking for is something new and spectacular and different. And then we'd really be great. When normally the answer to our problems is not something new, it's you and I going back to what we did at the first that actually freed us. And so let's, let's go. Step number 10. Let's look at that. Dare to stay honest. You see, what started you down this wrong path was you had a problem and you denied it or you covered it up. So here's the answer. We continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. You see, here's the dare. The dare is to keep on being honest. James puts it this way. When you look into the Word of God, it's like you're looking into a mirror. When you look in God's Word, what you see is you see not only Jesus and God, but you also see yourself in every flaw. And James says we can do the craziest thing. There's some of us who don't look in the mirror. There's some of us who actually look in the mirror and walk away like we didn't see anything. You ever been to work or, or school and, and there was somebody there, you know, it's obvious either they didn't look in the mirror or they looked in the mirror and they didn't pay attention and their hair's all sticking up, or, you know, they've got sleepy coming out of their eyes, or since y'all can't listen, they got boogers coming out of their nose. I mean, it's just, it's just that moment, okay? 
And some of us can be that very same way, is that we, we, we look in this mirror or we just avoid the mirror because it's painful to really admit your problems. It's painful to be out of denial. But for you to stay on the right path, you must be able to dare to look on the inside. Here's what the Bible says about it. Proverbs 28, verse 13. Whoever conceals their sins, guess what? Does not prosper. You see, the world tells us, cover them up so nobody knows them. You won't prosper. But the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. You see, what I love about this step is it says, you keep on looking and immediately, promptly, if you've done somebody wrong, you get it straight. One thing I, I hope I've learned in marriage and in other relationships is if, if you're confronted with something and you think you're 100% wrong or 50% wrong or 10% wrong, the smartest thing for you to do is just go ahead and say, I blew it. Anybody lear- learned that lesson? If you haven't learned that lesson, you're in trouble, okay? Because you just got to promptly get things cleared up. Not only just with people, because here, here's what you got to do, is you've got to be honest with yourself, you got to be honest with God, and you got to be honest with other people. You see, the, all of us are prone to d- deception. First of all, we're prone to deceive other people that we're better off than we really are. But here's the dangerous thing, is that, s- that other's deception ends up becoming self-deception, where you really think you don't have a problem. And that's where we get in trouble. And so what you need to do is if you do somebody wrong, don't try to cover it up. Just say, I was wrong. And when you go to bed, I learned this from Ed Bice, who said step 10 may be his favorite step. He says every day, he's old enough now that he makes up with people all day long. And then when he gets ready for bed, he reviews his day with God. And him and God come to a place of confession and honesty. And I love the way he put it. He says, step 10 is the best sleeping pill I've ever found. Because once you've taken it, you can sleep. Because there's nothing between you and anybody else that you can help. So, step 11, dare to pursue God. This is very practical. We sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God. I love those two words. Conscious contact. Praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry it out. You know, it, it hit me this week. As you look at the 12 steps, God is right in the middle of all of them. That's why they're so powerful. That's why our people will say every Wednesday night, we believe Jesus is the center of everything we're doing here. That's why it works. In fact, half of the 12 steps some way refer to God. Step two, Step three, step four, step five, step six, step seven, and step 11. Why? Because it's God who has the power to rescue us. So the Apostle Paul, one of my favorite verses, is very short. Romans 6, verse 11. I want you to memorize with me today. So here's what he says. I want you to be dead to sin. Say that with me. I want you to be dead to sin. Okay? That's part of it. But that is not, that's just the first part. How many of us have come to a point in our life we thought, man, I'm going to clean up. I'm going to get better. I'm going to stop this habit. I'm not going to do this anymore. And and maybe it worked for a little while, and then it came back with a vengeance. Just like the parable Jesus tells about. So Paul says, okay, I want you to be dead to sin, but here's the next part of it. I want you to be dead to sin and alive to God. Say that with me. 
and alive to God. So let's say it again. I want you to be and you see, if you just get dead to sin, you're going to be worse off than you started. That's why people just get on this clean up, you know, 12 steps, you know, to sobriety plan. That's not good enough. You've got to fill your life with something good. You've got to pursue God. And, and I like the way the 12 steps puts it. It's a conscious decision. It's conscious contact because he's the one who fills us so we're not so vulnerable. You know when you're vulnerable? It's when you're empty. When you're hungry, he's the one who empowers us through his Holy Spirit. He's the one who guides us, as this step says, to his will. Now let's talk about a real practical way to have conscious contact with God. And you can see the little graph we're about to put up here of Scripture, meditation, and prayer. Now, if you're like me, you've grown up your whole life with people saying, you need to read your Bible and you need to pray. Great advice. I really agree with that. But most of us have struggled with that because we read our Bible and we, we don't even remember what we read by the end of the day. Or sometimes it just doesn't resonate with us. And, and then my prayer life becomes stale and dull because I pray the same thing over and over. And so I've seen what we're missing is what that step says. It's the meditation element. Why? Because what this says is I reflect on Scripture Y'all remember we took that reveal survey a couple years ago? The number one impetus for spiritual growth is reflection on Scripture. If you're not growing and you're not reflecting on Scripture, you know why. But here, here's the thing. Here's where the reflection part comes on. You read the Scripture, you reflect on it. You meditate on it. You go deeper in it. You think about what it means. You think about what it tells you about God. Think about what it tells you about yourself what it tells you about life, what promises to hold on to, what commands. You, you just stop. You don't, you don't go, here, let me read the Bible, and here, let me pray. You have this in-between step of meditation that will change it all. So you meditate. You go deep in it. You let it sink deep into your soul. Okay? And then you pray. Guess what? You've answered both of your problems. You now are going to have something in Scripture to take with you and to remember, and now you're going to have something different than your ordinary prayer life to pray about. You're going to talk to God about what He just said to you. And it's that conscious contact that begins to change everything in our life. So, today, I want us to have a moment of an incredible conscious contact. Because I believe that quiet time is that daily time to do that. Right now, we're entering a weekly time to do this that, that we call communion. And the worship teams can come, and they're going to sing a song in just a moment, but I want, we're going to do things different today. Because I, I want you to really think about how close a contact you're about to have with God. This practice we call communion Lord's Supper, Eucharist, whatever name you want to use. It's a moment where you touch, you hold, you feel, you taste, you swallow. And it was meant to be that way. So here's what we're going to do today. As we sing this song, I want you to go to one of the tables around here. I want you to take the bread and the cup. Do not take it at that point. I want you to, to take it back to your seat, and I want you to, to hold it. And I'm going to lead you through some exercises about that. I want you to hold it, and then we're going to take it together. Now, this is going to be a little bit different today. We're not encouraging you, you know, to go gather up and pray with a group of people. We're encouraging you right now.
to just go back to your seat and just hold those emblems and then we're going to go deep with them, okay? So let's sing together, go get the emblems and go meditate at your seat. Well, I love the 11th and the 12th. Um, the 11th says prayer and meditation. You know, for me, it used to be beer and medication. Um, today, I get to use that prayer. I get to I start my day out every day with prayer. Um, for me, who used to be hyped up all the time to be um, slow down and meditate and prayer for a few minutes has just been a great blessing. Um, it just gives me that calmness that I need to go. And, you know, the one thing that happened to me um, is I love the 12th step because when I got here, somebody was here before me. Um, the guys at RSVP, the guys in AA and uh, NA and all the places I'd been to, they have said that, um, you know, they were here when I walked in the door. And today I love the 12th step. I mean, I want to help somebody else because if I'm not helping somebody else, I'm again that falling back guy. I'm not falling forward if I'm not, I'm not moving forward if I'm not helping somebody. He certainly says the truth there that he's, if he's not sharing with somebody else, he's falling away. And that's why the final step is so important. Step 12, dare to share. Now love, listen to how it puts it. Having a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to others and to participate in these principles in all of our affairs. You see, the goal of the 12th step is more than sobriety. It's not walk the steps, get sober, lose your soul. God or certainly Satan, does not care if you go to hell sober or drunk. The idea is said in this 12th step is a spiritual awakening. You see, what, what God wants is for you to be so awakened, so alive, that what you do is you share it with other people. Often we think, you know, let me become a Christian, let me learn everything. No, no, no. As soon as you know Jesus, as soon as you've been washed in the blood, as soon as he's done something in you, you begin to share it. Listen to how Paul puts it in a couple places. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. You've been made new. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself, and through Christ has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That's our ministry. It's been, God's been so good to us, we tell somebody else. And when we tell somebody else, it gets even stronger than us, listen, than that. Listen to Philemon, verse 6. I pray, Paul says, that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. You want to be fuller? You want to know Christ better? Every time you share your faith, every time you get to tell your story in history, and that's what sharing your faith's about. It's about telling your story. It's about telling his story. You, you see, here's one of the coolest things about God, is God will take the worst part of your life and use that as the platform for you to share your faith. The door that opens people's hearts to you is not you just quoting scripture to them, but it's about telling what Jesus has done in your life. Therefore, if you've had a big fall in your life, the worst thing in God's estimation is for you to keep quiet about it. The best thing is for you to share it and give glory to him. And that will lead you to say, you know what? The only reason I could change, the only reason I've got life now is because of Jesus Christ. And that confirms it to you so not only does it change the people you're sharing with, it changes you. You see, 
the more excited you are about a gift, the more likely you're to talk about it. If you just got that normal pair of socks for Christmas, you probably don't go to work the next day and say, man, I got a pair of socks for Christmas. It's, it's when something is really, really good. Maybe you got a new car. Maybe you got some new jewelry. Maybe you um, want a free trip, and so nobody has to force you, guilt trip you to go. Go tell somebody about it. You just tell them. Many of you know last weekend, Stephanie and I were in Pensacola for the 50th anniversary of the Gateway Church. Something really unique happened there. They had five of their ministers together, including the current minister. And let me show you a picture of what they gave each of us. They gave each of us a plaque. And it was really cool the way they did it. The current minister was giving those out. He gave his predecessor a plaque with all these kind words and how much they loved you. And on it, it had a CD. And then the guy before him, in between me and that guy, he got a cassette. And then Buddy gets an (laughs) 8-track. Which I was pretty offended by because we use cassettes. I'm telling you, we had no 8-tracks. But what was even worse is my friend said, this is Buddy Bell's greatest hits. It's a blank A-track. <laughs> At least I want the next guy who got a record on his plaque, okay? But that's when you got something good. You know, when you've been on something great like that, I've been loving talking all week about being back with people I love after 23 years and still having that bond in Christ. And you share it, and that's the way we are with Christ. And it's in sharing the story that we get stronger. Revelation 12, verse 11 says, we triumph. How do you triumph? How do you win? We're all prone to relapse. We triumph over Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. So one of the best things you can do to stay strong is to share what God's done in your life. So if you're going to escape relapse, if you're going to escape that drifting away, as Hebrews would say, you must dare to stay honest, you must dare to pursue God, and you must dare to share. Because guys, please, please listen to me. It is so easy to start something and so easy to finish things. That's true in every area of life and is especially true spiritually. So our goal in going through all 12 steps, not just one time, but over and over again, is for each of us to finish strong. I don't know about you, but I want to finish strong. I know that the majority of my life at this point is behind me, okay, unless some miracle happens. Majority is behind me. And so the question now that keeps me awake, that keeps me thinking, is how am I going to finish strong? Because I know too many Christians, I know too many preachers who fade. And it's an easy thing to do. And we, all, we almost anticipate it. We say to young, about a young Christian, man, she is really fired up for Jesus, but just give her a little time and she'll be like the rest of us. I'm saying that is so awful. What we ought to be able to say is, give her some time, she'll be like the rest of us. We've experienced Christ and His grace more. Well, I am more fired up today than I've ever been. Amen? That's the way it's supposed to happen. And that's what it means to finish strong. The Bible has a good word for finishing strong. It's simply the word, be faithful. So can can I ask you a moment, have you been faithful? Not have you always been perfect, but have you just hung in there and kept growing and kept walking with the Lord? I want to ask you some serious questions that we don't ask much in church anymore. Have you relapsed? The old-fashioned word spiritually would be, have you 
backslidden? I, I would prefer the Hebrew writer's description. Have you drifted away? I'm not consciously. You see, like we said at the beginning of this message, you don't have to shake your fist at God and say, I reject you. Just don't think about it. And you'll slowly drift away. And today, I want to ask you, I want to ask myself, am I more in love with Jesus today than I was at the beginning? Am I more like Christ? Am I more motivated about him? Am I more engaged in his work or have I disengaged? Am I more hungry for scripture or do that not turn me on? You see, the people I admire are the people who are faithful. The people that motivating me right now are people who finish strong. And we've had some amazing examples of that in our church lately. Many of you are here Friday or Thursday night. This place was packed with people celebrating the life of Mike Henry. It was one of the funnest, most emotional services I've ever been a part. And we all would say Mike went way too early at 49 years old. But here's what I'm glad to say is this brother, he finished strong. He knew what was about to happen, so he took the time to write notes to his parents and his siblings and his family. And every one of those notes finished with these words. God is in control. His plan will be done. I'm not scared. That is finishing strong. Founding member of this church, one of the great shepherds of this church, Tommy Weldon, is on his deathbed right now. And yet I know from talking to Tommy that he has told me over and over he is ready to go. And he is not afraid of death. Why? Because he has finished strong. He stayed faithful all these years. I imagine Tommy could have gone back and he could have talked about all the people that were here at the beginning of this church almost 50 years ago. All the people who have drifted away, fallen away. And yet there's that core group of great people that have been faithful through all those years. Today I want to ask you, could that motivate you to remain faithful? I mean, if you, if you could be honest enough just for a moment to look in the mirror and go, where am I with the Lord? Have I drifted? Have I fallen? Have I relapsed in some stuff I shouldn't have relapsed into? Do I need to do something about that? Man, I hope that every one of us will find us in the same position of Simon Peter when everybody else is leaving. And I doubt he understood this craziness about flesh and blood any better than they did at that point. But Jesus finally turns to him and says, Okay, guys, are you going to leave too? You've got the option. You can walk away from me anytime you want to. I won't force you. And Peter says, Lord, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I hope you're where I am on that one. There's nowhere else I can go. There's no one else who has eternal life. There's no one else who's got the power to change me. No program, no. It's Jesus. And so today I want to talk to some of you. And I know this college group and this teen group, man, they're going to be the most sensitive to what I'm saying. And they fill this front row. 
But I want to talk specifically to some of the rest of us that are older, that have been losing our fire, that have been drifting away, that aren't even where we used to be, more or less growing. Is today the day for you to make a move? You can come pray with someone up here. You can come confess something on the front row. But is the day the day for you to go, 